Well, we're excited to be here, and uh, I hope you are too. And uh, I must say, uh, I spoke here many years ago, and as I recall, the front was wood. There have been a lot of changes around here, and God has certainly blessed this church. And uh, you have to be careful having a prophecy conference. I told the pastor that early. He, he was wondering what I was talking about. The fact is that when I started 20 years ago doing prophecy conferences, um, we had, I think it was 48 people at the first one. Now we have over 4,000. You understand, if you just keep having prophecy conferences, you might have other speakers and so forth, but I tell you, the world is desperately in need of knowing what's going on. And the good news is, we have the original document. Oh, I love your faces. We have the original document. It's called the Bible. Amen? The Bible, the whole Bible, nothing but the Bible. And what we're going to do is we're going to team teach straight through the book of Revelation. Now, some of you know that on Tuesday nights, uh, I'm teaching the book of Revelation on Internet television. HisChannel.com at 7 o'clock on Tuesday nights. It is rebroadcast on Saturday at 12 noon. In case you just don't want to have lunch or you have your laptop, you can set it up and watch it. But the book of Revelation is the most misunderstood book in the entire Bible. That is evident from all the variant viewpoints that people have about it. A whole host of churches, and I'm not saying it's where you come from, I don't know. So it's good I don't know, so I can just say what I want to say. Amen? Amen. Now, a whole host of churches in America actually believe that Revelation has nothing to do with the future. You say, well, how many of the churches are you talking about? 82% of them are going to churches that believe the book of Revelation was written before 70 A.D., that it refers to the invasion of Rome and has nothing to do with us today. Now, I don't know what kind of people you are. Maybe you want documentation and facts. So I would, I would invite you uh, to go to the website of the John Ankerberg Show. A few years ago, they did a debate between Hank Hennegraaff of the Christian Research Society, who believes that Revelation was written before 70 A.D., and Dr. Mark Hitchcock, pastor of Faith Bible Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. Dr. Hitchcock was a constitutional attorney. He came to know the Lord, went to Dallas Seminary, did his doctorate dissertation on the date of the book of Revelation. When you see this, oh, by the way, when you see the video, there's a big shadow of a guy right in back of Tim and Beverly LaHaye in the front row. That's me. <laughs> so I got into it by the back of my head. But anyway, Hank Hennegraaff did not have one single historical documentation for his view. Dr. Mark Hitchcock, who thoroughly examined all of church history, he had so many documentations, it was unbelievable. And by the way, it wasn't guesswork. 
It didn't say about 90 A.D. or about 100 A.D. No, they were all the same date, 95 A.D. Well, that was 25 years after Rome destroyed Jerusalem. The book of Revelation is still future. Amen? Don't ever forget it. We put on a newsletter that focuses on prophecy, and there's several samples at the book table. Please pick one up, fill out the insert, and we send it to you free at your home or office, whichever you'd like. I also want to mention something that a lot of you probably don't know about. Uh, we have a weekly email called HFT Connect. It's a little more controversial, I need to tell you that. Major news programs of our day, or see it. We try to tell people the truth. Now, I'll give you an example. Our government, unfortunately, our Obama administrative government, said that the Muslim Brotherhood are our friends, our political allies, and we need to understand uh, how peaceful they are. Well, that disturbed me greatly because I knew the facts. By the way, the Muslim Brotherhood have been working here in America since 1958. They have cell groups all over our country. The Muslim Brotherhood are not peaceful people. All terrorism is directly related to the Muslim Brotherhood. Interestingly, uh, most all of them were trained in American universities. They don't look like Yasser Arafat and the typical terrorists. They usually wear a three-piece suit. Their beards are shaved to a, a, just a beautiful look. And these men are different. Uh, recently, they had a change of leadership. And our president went on the air to say how wonderful his meeting was with the head of the, the new head of the Muslim Brotherhood. I was so upset, I decided to do a little study on this man. And what happened was, I finally put it on our weekly email letter with 30 different things, 30 reasons why he's not a man of peace, but is wicked to the very core. This is simply an illustration. We have today so many websites. Muslims have 775,000 of them many of them dedicated to convincing evangelicals that we need to take another step and go to Islam. But we have so much confusion on the Internet, it's hard to know who, who's telling the truth and what's really going on. So one of the reasons that we put together this conference with the pastor here, who's just been a blessing to us, Neil Anderson, the subject is, what will happen in the last days? And what we're calling this is an inside look on the book of Revelation. We're going to uh, teach it in maybe a way you have not seen before. But I hope it will be a great blessing to your heart. Will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Revelation chapter 1. Our subject, our first subject, is the wonder of the glorified Messiah. He's seen in all of his glory here in chapter 1. Let me just quickly give you the outline that we'll be taking in this study. First, 
the wonder of the glorified Messiah. Second message, his final words to the churches, chapter 2 and 3. Third, his worthiness among the saints, chapter 4 and 5, as the scene shifts to heaven and the throne of God. Then from chapter 6 to 16, a big section, all on the great tribulation, the day of the Lord, we called it his wrath upon planet earth. And fourth, a very fascinating subject, chapter 17 and 18, the woman who rides this seven-headed beast with ten horns on the seventh head. And finally... His worship for all eternity, chapter 19 to chapter 22. Then on Sunday morning, we're going to take another bird's eye view of the whole thing, focusing on the last few chapters. Number one, we're going to deal with, is there a hell? What does the Bible really teach? You cannot understand prophecy or the future or the book of Revelation without understanding the doctrine of hell. Many speakers in the past have said, when we speak about hell, we should speak with broken hearts. Secondly, we will end our conference way Revelation ends, with heaven is for real. And uh, we're going to try to get as many of you as we possibly can to go to heaven with us. There'll be a bus after the second service. <laughs> Okay. The Wonder of the Glorified Messiah, Chapter 1. I was asked by the History Channel, what is Revelation all about? And they kept talking. They said, well, we know it's about uh, Jesus supposedly coming back and all these terrible signs and judgments on planet Earth. And they kept talking. And finally... They asked me what I thought. I said, no, you've missed it completely. The answer to your question is in chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. It does not say it's a revelation of the second coming. It is not a revelation of all the tragic, disastrous signs that will happen during the tribulation even though they're mentioned in the book of Revelation. The truth is that Bible prophecy is about Jesus. Feel free to say amen whenever it's appropriate for you. Jesus, according to the Bible, is the testimony of Bible prophecy. He's the heart and soul of what it is. And I would be greatly discouraged if I thought that you would leave this conference with fascination with political and uh, planet Earth upheavals that are going on, and you did not see that this is all about Jesus. You see, a revelation is an apocalypse, is the Greek word. It means to take the lid off, to uncover. Jesus is uncovered in the book of Revelation. 
In fact, there's more identifications and characteristics of Jesus in Revelation than the whole New Testament put together. We call it the wonder of the glorified Messiah. Peter said, We were with him on the holy mount, and we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw his glory. John wrote in John 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. He went on to say that he was in the world, the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. He came unto his own, his own received him not. But as many as receive him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. In the very next verse, he tells us that he beheld his glory. And John, who wrote Revelation, really tells us about his glory. Those were the three men who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The tallest mountain in the north is Mount Hermon. That's where they were. And it is there that we learn in the book of Revelation the glory, the majesty, and the honor that belongs to the Messiah the Messiah of Israel, our blessed Lord, Jesus. Revelation 1, did you turn? I gave you time. Amen. Please bring your Bibles. Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel, Unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, that's Asia Minor, the western coast of Turkey today. Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, The book isn't done, but you've got to say it. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, and all God's people said, Amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, unto Theatira, unto Sardis and Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like a defined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Will you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, your spirit has already directed us in this opening chapter to know that there will be a blessing for all who read this. And those who hear or heed it, those who obey the message of this book. Lord, I don't know the hearts of people here, but you do. It is easy for us to go along with what we think religious people are doing, maybe to make us feel better or to make us think we're in the end group. But it is a tragedy that you have spoken about that in the end times, people will make a profession and say that they belong to you. But you'll have to say to them, depart from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Those are awesome and frightening words. I pray, Lord, that this series will help every one of us to know for certain our relationship to the Lord of all. We thank you, we praise you, in the blessed name of our Lord Yeshua, we pray. Amen. What will happen in the last days? Let's start with the meaning of this book. Verses 1 to 3. And the reason we do is because of the significance of what is said in these opening verses. For instance, 
the revelation of Jesus Christ. That means we're going to see Jesus like we have never seen him in any other part of the New Testament. He will be unfolded. The cover will be taken off. Secondly, we have a reason for the book. It's to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. You say, well, that sounds like they're to come to pass right away after the first century A.D. No. We have the word takeos. It has about eight different grammatical forms in the New Testament, translated shortly, quickly, suddenly. What it's talking about is when end-time events, which is the point of this conference, begin to take place, it won't take long to finish God's plan for planet Earth. For instance, we have in the Bible quite a number of references to the day of the Lord, in fact, 25 of them. Not one of those references has any good in it. It's destruction and death and disaster and darkness I could go on and on. They parallel what you probably know as the Great Tribulation. Those words came from the lips of Jesus in Matthew 24, 21 and 22. Now in Matthew 24, we are told that just before these tremendous events happen, signs exploding in the heavens that will cause men to fear, just before, he said there's going to be birth pains. Now, in the Old Testament prophets, you will find a woman travailing in pain, about to give birth, as one of the commonest uh, clues in the Bible that we are near the end. The tribulation period is going to wrap up planet Earth, according to the Bible, and it will be finished. But don't worry, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. Oh, for all of you who are working on peace, just relax. <laughs> we won't get it till the Prince of Peace comes. And we're going to have a very serious fall. Starting on September the 15th, and during the days that follow in the General Assembly of the United Nothing, uh, excuse me, the United Nations, we're going to see an attempt by the Palestinians to establish a state apart from any negotiation with Israel. This week alone, we've heard enough from the Muslim world to know that their goal is not to have another state beside Israel. Their goal is to get rid of Israel completely. They've got a plan as to how they're going to do it. We're going to have an interesting fall. We better get these messages in our hearts first. Amen? The reason for the book, to show his servants what's going to happen, and it's going to happen quickly when it starts. A lot of people will, will be panicking, wanting... More information or what's going on? Does anybody know? Listen, those kinds of questions are already coming to us in our limited ministry called Hope for Today. 
And I see them also in the prophecy conferences we do around the United States and Canada and even overseas. People are afraid. They know that life as we have known it is no longer there. Tragedy is going to happen to us not just economically. We already saw more tornadoes than we've ever seen. And we're not even in the tornado season yet. We're seeing hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes in strange places like Washington, D.C. or Colorado. According to the Cal Institute of Technology in Berkeley, in 2010 there were over 500,000 earthquakes on planet Earth. I couldn't even count 500, let alone 500,000. And they mention unless they become four or five on the Richter scale, we probably won't get mentioned in the news. And one gentleman trying to explain this to us says, it looks like somebody has picked up the globe and is shaking it. I remind you, those words are found in the book of Isaiah, and he is not a believer who said it. And number three, the role of John. When you talk about the meaning of the book, you need to look at this carefully. It says he sent and signified it, that means by signs, by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record or testimony of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. The words he saw appears 70 times. Imagine if you were there, 1st century A.D., and saw the things that John mentions in the book of Revelation. You, too, would find it hard to understand. So God's going to explain it. He's going to have signs. And John's going to see things over and over again from the 1st century looking clear into the future, even of our day now. One more thing. The response that is needed when you look at this book Verse 3, blessed is he that readeth. Were you reading along with me when I read it? Because I don't want to be the only one to get the blessing. <laughs> blessed is he that readeth, they that hear the words of his prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Once again, another statement indicating that when this all starts, there won't be much time. To change your mind. Let's look at the ministry of the Messiah in the second category in verse 4 to 6. And uh, there's several things here I want you to see. One is the involvement of angels. It says, from the seven spirits. The seven spirits are identified in Revelation, and we will be pointing that out to you, as the seven angels of the seven churches. So that's clear. We shouldn't be surprised. Hebrews 1 tells us in verse 14 that angels are ministering spirits sent forth by God the Father to take care of the heirs of salvation. Let me just share what I think that means. I believe the devil does not want us to have this conference. What do you believe? He'll cause so many things to happen 
to get people not to pay attention to the Word of God being taught here. I also believe that the demons of hell can exercise their influence upon people. The Bible teaches it. Maybe make you sick. Of course, some might be sick just because they're hearing me preach. But I mean, you can't explain it. It just happens. I have been in meetings preaching prophecy where I have seen demon-possessed people try to stop it. Not trying to scare you, I'm just trying to say we need the angels he's talking about. Did you know that the Lord has encamped a host of angels around those who trust in him? People ask me all the time, do we have a guardian angel? I think you have more than one, especially watching how you drive. <laughs> but isn't it wonderful to know that the seven spirits from God... Now, some people say that's the Holy Spirit, and they go to Isaiah 11, but there aren't seven things in Isaiah 11. There's only six in three couplets. So, you know, again, let the Word of God tell you. But the seven spirits are angels in the book, and they're the angels that are doing God's work, and they're the angels upon whom we can trust. Praise the Lord. But here's the second thing. As to his identity... Right away, John hits us with some characteristics about Jesus that are going to be unveiled in this book. Let's just see if you know them. One, the faithful witness. What does that mean? It means total reliability. Whatever Jesus says, that's it. The Bible says in the Gospel of John that if we listen to his words, we hear his voice then we are his disciples indeed. It also teaches us that we can rely totally on what he says, for he speaks truth in opposition, according to John 8, 44, with the father of lies, the devil, who always tells lies. Amen? Number two, not only reliability, but resurrection. He's the first begotten of the dead. You say, well, weren't uh, some people resurrected during the... God no, they died again, like Lazarus and the widow of Nain and so forth. No, he's the first one to come back from the dead, never to die again. And if we believe in him, the Bible teaches we will live forever. Praise the Lord. And number three, his reign. R-E-I-G-N. Now this is going to be unfolded in spectacular ways in the book of Revelation. Right here he simply says, He's the prince of the kings, plural, of the earth. Have you ever thought of this, that Jesus is running the whole show? I preached a message on this entitled, Who's in Charge? And you know people got mad. People came up to me and said, well, if he's in charge, why does he do something about Obama? Are you kidding? <laughs> Obama's a speck on God's great future plan. The Bible says he raises up kings and takes them down. He's in total control of what's going on. 
Well, who's going to take over Libya now that Gaddafi has got? I don't know. But the one who's been in charge of Libya is the Lord Jesus. He's the prince of the kings of the earth. Amen? I love that. That's his identity. But as to his incarnation, it says he loved us, washed us, made us kings and priests. God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, says John. He came because he loved us. He came to cleanse us from our sin and to make us kings and priests who will rule with him forever. By the way, again, feel, feel free to say amen anytime you want to. Write on or praise hallelujah or something else. All I, the only thing I say to you is I've studied the Bible pretty carefully on this issue. And if you remain silent and say nothing, you are susceptible to the judgment of God in your life. Some of you are saying right now, where did he get that, Martha? <laughs> well, it's all the way through the Psalms, but it's in also the prophets as well. There's a time for all the earth to keep silent. God's ready to judge it. There's also a time for us to open our mouths and praise the Lord. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen? Amen. And so when I say he, he has washed us from our sins in his own blood, you already ought to be praising the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. He's made us kings and priests. Now, if that scared you a little bit, I get worse. This, I'm very subdued right now. But there's a fourth thing here, and that's as to the intent of his ministry. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you for saying so. I want you to look at that carefully. To him be glory. Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. To glorify God is to put him first in everything, to recognize his sovereignty over all I have and am. I want everything in my life, and I hope you do too, to give glory to him. He alone is worthy. But it also said dominion forever and ever. That is the great hope of the gospel. There will be a kingdom on earth with Jesus Christ ruling and reigning. And praise God... It'll be a dominion, according to Daniel, that will last forever. It will never stop. It will never be destroyed. And guess what? Believers are going to rule and reign with him. Amen? Amen. People may think you're not much on this planet. But the Lord says, you haven't ever done anything for me that won't be rewarded 100 times greater. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 6.10, that the Lord will never forget our work and labor of love that we've shown in ministering to the saints and still do minister. Don't ever stop. Payday someday. Glory is coming. Amen? Now let's take a look at the marvel of His coming in verse 7 and 8. The marvel of His coming. Well, for one thing, it's going to impact the entire world. Every eye shall see him. 
And I heard a preacher the other day say, you know, that wouldn't have been true without satellite television. What? <laughs> Our Lord does not need all of you technocrats. Amen. He doesn't need computers. Nothing. Well, how is he going? He's God. No problem. And secondly, it will identify him with deity. Why? Well, for several reasons. One, his providence. Only God has providence. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. That means the entire story is his, and he's running it. Providence means that things are not out of control. How many times do you hear that in the radio? Right now, preachers saying that. The world is not out of control. There is one in heaven who's controlling everything. I'm sorry, I didn't. They were a little slow on the amen there. And number two is presence. Don't you love this? Which is and which was and which is to come. Same thing said back in verse 4. My Lord didn't, didn't just start in the 1800s. Or in 5000 B.C. He's the eternal God, ever present in all uh, passages of time. Whether you're talking past or present or future. What a Lord. And his power. Very interesting. If you're looking at the passage in 7 and 8. The last thing in verse 8. Uh, many Bible teachers have commented on this. It, it seems strange. He ends it by saying, The Almighty. Now, there is the Hebrew word Shaddai, El Shaddai, translated the Almighty, like in Genesis 17. That isn't this re word. This word is a Greek word, well known in Greek times, and in the Roman Empire of Jesus' day. Pantocrator. Crator is referring to power that you have inherent inside of you and you need nobody else's help to make it possible. Is he the Crator? Yes. He doesn't need anyone else to help him. Hey, when he comes, do we get Uzis and fighting with him? No. No, you're going to watch. The Lord's going to do it all by himself and says so. Why? Because he's a creator. He is the only person who ever lived that has the power in himself, does not need anybody else's help to accomplish whatever he needs to accomplish. That would have been enough. But the Greek word is bigger than that. It is panto, creator. Panto, meaning all. He's got all power that has ever been described as power. Did you know that he's going to defeat all nations of the world with their great armaments? With their thermonuclear weapons of mass destruction? As they come against Israel to wipe her off the face of the earth once and for all, which is what they're screaming about right now, my Lord is Pancho Creator. Nobody will stand a chance. He is the King of Kings. Go ahead. Explode with praise.
He alone deserves it. Let's pick up verse 9 and 10 and 11 about the method by which John received this message. I like this for a lot of reasons. One would be his relationship to others. Do you feel this? Companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. John wrote to these churches and said, I'm with you. I know what you're going through. The Lord has shown me. We're together. I want to take this brief moment to say, we who know and love the Lord Jesus, we are companions in tribulation with thousands of believers who are being martyred on our planet at the present time. Nobody said anything when over three million Christians were massacred and slaughtered at Darfur in Sudan. Nobody said anything. Oh, we did talk about getting food to the refugee camps. Nobody said anything when the Coptic Christians were slaughtered in Egypt. Oh yeah, real democratic. Real human rights and justice. Unbelievable. All over this world, people are being tortured and persecuted for their faith. We are companions in tribulation with them. Amen. Don't ever forget the suffering church, ever. And the reason he was on Patmos, verse 9, was for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's why he was there. And the reality of his experience, he said, verse 10, this one you've got to get correct. Don't, don't mess up on this. I was in spirit on the Lord's day. Now, I've got commentaries that say that means he was spirit-filled on Sunday. No. If it meant the Holy Spirit, there would have to be the definite article, the, in front of spirit in the Greek text, and it is not there. He's talking about being in spirit in contrast to being in the flesh. By some sort of spiritual, transcendental, transcendental experience, he was transferred to the day in which all of this was happening. The Lord's day is not Sunday. He's talking about the day of the Lord, the day of God's wrath, the tribulation period. It was real. And the very request of the great voice, what thou seest, write in a book, send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. Incredible. You say, well, what... What's he going to say? What does he want me to send? Verse 12, the majesty of the glorified Messiah. It is my opinion that though brief, its brevity should not confuse us. It is a classic, simple summary of the glory of Jesus Christ now. That which was only displayed on the Mount of Transfiguration is what he is now. 
He is not like the one who walked the hills of Galilee and the streets of Jerusalem. A change has occurred. What are we talking about? Well, for one thing, his centrality. He is in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, which represent churches. Jesus Christ is in the midst. When you come to a worship service in a church, may Jesus not be left outside. Number two, his clothing is the clothing of a majesty, of a royal person. Clothed with a garment down to the foot. Normally the men wore a tunic down to the knees. And uh, he was girded about the paps with a golden girdle. It's talking about around the chest. There was a very obvious sign that the person was of great stature and importance. His clothing, there's none like him. He's both king and priest. Zechariah 6, 12, and 13 says, As king and priest, he will, all by himself, build the temple of the millennial kingdom, where all nations will come to worship him. And the bodily characteristics that are describing him, his head and hair are white as snow. That was from Daniel 7, 13 and 14, one like the Son of Man. It's picturing eternal nature. 